in a variety of ways we're in the middle of the retreat. In terms of days, we're more or less in the middle. In terms of the paramitas, we're in the middle. And um, the middle's a great place to be. clamor that we brought with us has started to soften and loosen, and the uh, anticipations, hopefully, have not of what happens later have not yet arisen, at least not yet arisen too uh, energetically. Um, Yesterday, Gil was talking about uh, patience, you know? and in the middle, he said something like, "Just doing this forever." You know? That that way that we allow what's happening now to not be put in some kind of temporal reference. And also, allow what's happening now to not be put in some usual reference. The way I think about things, the way I assess things, the way I give them relevance. Yeah. And yet th- there is a process we're going through. And of course each of us goes through it in our own way. But the first three paramitas, you know, giving sila, uh, appropriate conduct, and patience, they're, they're in the realm of inviting us in, inviting us into now. In, in the realm of loosening up the preoccupations that might be there. In, in the realm of letting now be a palpable experience. The way generosity invites something to soften. And as we sit in the intensity of cross-legged or still upright sitting, um, the potency of that, how somehow uh, softening exposes contraction. It shows us, lets us feel where we're holding. 
and we sit with it. You know? Discovering how not to uh, fight with it and how not to just pull away from it either. Almost inevitably, as, as we enter into retreat, we will be inclined towards doing retreat the way we do our lives. If you're a high achiever, you'll probably have high achievement goals for retreat. If you're hesitant, holding back so you don't get harmed, some of that will appear. And these first three paramitas, they're to help us loosen up those ingrained modes of being. They're all coping mechanisms. They've all come into place in response to our lives. And, and how can we let them loosen up and let something original arise in this moment, in this situation? How can we let them loosen up enough that we start to see them? Not simply live in the world they create. And though we might think about this some in, in, in a purposeful and helpful way, mostly we live it, we engage it, we cook, yeah. we, we, we cook in the intensity of our own experience. We're part of the alchemy of, of retreat. Recently, I read a quote that said, transformation inevitably involves sacrifice. Of course, the original was in German. I wonder if the word sacrifice really means um, letting go of some sense of self. And then sometimes this becomes a very helpful shift. You know? The mind that was so distracted and caught up in its issues is not quite so. Or maybe dramatically not so. Maybe sitting for 40 minutes was utter agony and now it feels a more doable proposition.
you give over to the process. In the middle between resisting it and trying to have it move more quickly. Reminding ourselves, coaching ourselves. This lasts forever, whatever it is. Whether it's walking down the stairs, you know, sitting, um, eating, and that sense of purposeful engagement and opening to it's just itself. At the San Francisco Zen Center, there used to be um, a, ma a, a carpenter who was a master Japanese carpenter. And um, he came as a, as a skilled carpenter, and then he went to Japan and learned the skills of Japanese carpentry. And he had one very interesting trait. He, he was kind of a genius. He was quite dyslexic. Uh, but also um, a genius when it came to cutting the intricate joints of Japanese carpentry. You know, you cut them and then they interlock and hold each other in place without nails. It's exquisite skill. And when he would be cutting them, he would stick his tongue out the side of his mouth you know, it was kind of like this funny involvement, you know, to watch how putting his tongue out was for him an integral part of <laughs> cutting these wonderful joints. <coughs> that way in which we add something, you know, we're, we're is our inclination uh, is we're, we're adding something to our engagement, to our directed effort. You know? And the first three paramitas are inviting us to discover how to let our effort just be our effort. You know? And, and of course, it's 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 right there, and how we're relating to our body and our breath. You know, they're they're wonderfully simple and straightforward. You know, like can you let the breath breathe the body, and then you discover, a lot of the time, the answer is no. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Either for some mysterious reason, you're utterly determined that the mind will breathe the body. Or, or that the breath will happen a certain way. So right there we can discover and work with something 
very intimate in our nature. You know? Like Paul Disco is that carpenter's name, and he's still a wonderful carpenter and has created many wonderful buildings, and I hope many more. But Paul was not aware that he stuck his tongue out. When we told him, of course, then, but still, it didn't. It wasn't a purposeful, intentional thing. It, it was something that arose somehow. You know. So in our doing, something arises somehow. Yeah. And we live within its dictates. We we live within the consequence of that doing. And the first three paramitas are inviting us very carefully, but quite deliberately, to explore what has accreted onto our doing, what has accreted onto our being. Yeah. And engaging the breath in the body, we can explore that. It's not the only way to explore it, there's many ways. but. It's a very direct way, you know, watching how the body receives the breath, releases the breath. And similarly, the body, I hope, you're starting to experience some ease in your sitting. Usually somewhere around now, something that seemed rock solid or inevitably painful is starting to soften. Although what you learn when you do several retreats is it takes its own course. You, know? you can't insist upon a certain consequence. It doesn't help to fight against our habit energy. That's that's not a productive involvement. Somehow we we create this this foundation and the support to let it soften, and then we start to see it. I suspect that everybody now is starting to see something about their own patterns that wasn't so visible three days ago. And then the delicate challenges in this seeing to not revert to some way of judging. No. Can it be more like an amazing occurrence, you know? If you stick your tongue out while you're cutting a carpentry joint. How amazing. No. The reason I mention it is because it's it is amazing.
especially when you know the carpenter and know how incredibly skilled he is. It's similarly with the mind, you know, as, as Gil was mentioning this morning. As we start to see it more it, in that softening, the inevitable hooking of the thought to a narrative or the thought to a feeling is not so inevitable. And it's not so... Um, persuasive, you know, this reality. <coughs> it becomes more part of now. Mm. This is not a reality. This is a mental process. It's arising now. And then in this, in this environment, something softened, loosened, something being seen more readily, something shifting from reactiveness to being more conscious. We have virya, we have Virya translates most specifically as energy, but it covers from effort, perseverance, diligence, to energy. Yeah. That, that way in which we apply ourselves. which is, especially at the start of retreat, it's interwoven with some kind of agendas, some, some habituated way of doing and being. trying to unfold an existence that goes beyond clinging and goes beyond grasping and pushing away. And the very activity will quicken our grasping and clinging. If you want to see how your mind wanders, try to keep it on a single object. You know, often this is the frustrating territory of directed attention. Okay, I'll do this technique. And then you find it's hard to stay engaged in it. There's this impulse to move away from it. This impulse to struggle with it and make it produce the right result. We direct and then we receive whatever happens. You know? 
especially in the realm of cultivating mindfulness. We direct and we receive whatever happens. So there's a diligence, intense patience, because such is given the nature of mind, its tendency to move away. We need patience. It helps. There's a kindly generosity. beating up on ourselves, getting frustrated with ourselves. Holding some sense of impoverishment that practice is going to resolve. I'll be a better person. My life will work better. And the skillfulness of sila, just a diligence in how we engage the particulars of our practice. Mm. And each of them have a diligence to them, and then together they, they craft a skillful effort. And at this point in retreat, now to attend to that and trying to sustain a continuity, a diligence that flows from activity to activity. Mm. In a way, by this point, we get the gestalt of it. You know, we we get the big picture. We get how the pieces of it fit together. The rhythm of it, the schedule of it, starting to have some familiarity. Oh, we do this, and then we do this. And then the nature of our mind is to create, along with that gestalt, is is to create some sense of familiarity that knows. Oh, I know what happens next. And I have a picture of it, and the experience will accord with the picture of it. And we could say in our usual life, that has its functionality. Um, But in the realm of the Dharma, in the realm of mindfulness, we don't feed that impulse to anticipate. We, we We invite, we diligently invite every experience to be now, to be itself.
when we glue the world together with our knowing and our anticipating, um, we invite back the familiar patterns. And the mind moves back into its familiar way of thinking. The, the freshness of now, of this moment, um, becomes elusive. Mm. And when it does, we just start over. This is why it's so helpful to have a process, a technique that you return to. This is why it's so helpful at the end of walking, you pause, you turn, you start over, you know? I mean, if we watch carefully, the reason it's traditionally 20 or 30 paces is because usually, but that's as long after we've walked 20 or 30 paces, we sort of lost it. Then you pause, and you just start over. Yeah. So this diligence, you know, this kind of very patient willingness to start over. Yeah. Okay, I'll walk down the stairs mindfully. Yeah. Mm. How far did you get? Yeah. This kind of diligence. Yeah. But the interesting thing, as we settle into it, it becomes almost like play, rather than some desperate event that you have to succeed at. It's more like, hmm, yeah, let's see how this goes. Let's see what comes to mind in this activity. That, that kind of inquiry that's on an adventure rather than, you know, setting out to right all wrongs. And so even though there's this kind of continuity, this, this perseverance and the continuity of it, uh, to watch that it stays loose, that it stays soft, that doesn't, it doesn't tighten and harden. You know. When our effort tightens and hardens, um, it makes that fresh aliveness more difficult to access. Yeah. <coughs> and again, I would say, right in letting the breath breathe the body, we'll continually be receiving a message about that. What it is to not tighten and harden. When our effort tightens and hardens, the mind breathes the body. 
the the diligence becomes a sort of determined act. And sometimes, you know, we can see, oh, this is giving me a headache, you know. All this determined work that I'm doing. And then so sometimes uh, we turn it on its head. Like, to give yourself a pleasurable experience. Sit in a comfortable position where your body can relax, release, and you can feel the pleasure of that ease. Sit in the sun and feel the warmth. Walk in the afternoon air and f- smell the different scents coming off the plants and the earth. And what we're discovering as we engage like this, we're discovering the conditioned nature of our existence. And we're discovering, as we become aware of it, we can work with it skillfully. That that our practice is not a battle of right and wrong or good and evil. Our practice is just discovering appropriate response to what's going on in the moment. And as we discover this, the effort, the way it's being engaged intentionally, um, can start to be more evident as to what it creates. Mm. And then we can start to see some of the subtler things, you know. We can start to see that when you direct your attention to tasting, tasting is energized. When you direct your effort to how the foot feels as it touches the floor, that sensation is energized and becomes more evident. You can start to see another dimension of conditioned existence. That it's influenced by the energy of attention. That energy and attention have a relationship. And that energy is intrinsic to all experience. It's not only in directing our attention, it's like 
it's in receiving the experience too. As we open up to experiencing the sensations in the body, the aliveness of it becomes more evident. And we can start to see the yogic request of meditation. The yogic request of meditation is to enliven the experience that happens. And in that, in that attention brought to contact, contacting the experience, something's enlivened. And then as we explore it a little bit more deeply, that enlivening um, has the, the, the quality of um, awakening the consciousness. Someone said to me in, in in a practice meeting, they said, and when I notice the mind is thinking and I let it go, there's a kind of an enlivening spark. Reflecting on those moments when you just heard the sound, or just saw something, or just tasted something. There's something in that involvement that energizes consciousness. Now, of course, our mind wants to get busy and manufacture it. Very same way our mind wants to get busy and breathe the body. But that's not the nature of existence. The mind with its thinking does not create reality. It creates a story about reality. The direct experience. Mm. And then, in the body, in the breath, in the thinking, in the feeling, in the emotions, this way of engaging is possible. We can feel the emotion. And as we feel the emotion, it moves more towards sensation and moves away from the narrative, the story we have about it. And often this is skillful in our sitting, when, when, the, when the story has an emotional base. 
and they're feeding each other. Attending to the emotion, feeling the emotion, and, and let it move towards the realm of sensation. And so this is a very interesting point in the retreat. This is starting to become available. It's not that all the karmic energy and constructs have thoroughly disappeared. It's more that now there's moments, now there's space, now there's a capacity to direct the attention. There's a capacity to see this kind of energy equation as you engage it just as it is and let the contact initiate experience. There's some spark of vitality of energy there. as you engage the body and let the engagement and let the, the experience of the sensations define the body rather than the mind. When, when we let my arms, my legs, my torso fall away and we let the sensations happen, the body becomes a different experience. And often we're drawn into that relationship almost paradoxically by the discomfort we're having, you know, which demands attention. And so discomfort can be a valuable thing. But actually, we need to learn how to work with discomfort. If we tighten around it, it's not valuable. It's innervating. It, it, the body tightens. The body loses its elasticity. It loses its vitality. It's like the contraction is squeezing out that vitality. It's like to be able to experience discomfort and soften into it. So I would say to you, uh, don't be afraid of discomfort, uh, but discover how to work with it skillfully. Huh? And recognize that uh, such is our condition, nature, Enough's enough. There's a certain point when the skillful thing to do is to move. Yeah. And then we can see the relationship of energy and, and, and how we're holding 
or releasing. Like even our state of mind can contract. And as we attend to it and let something soften, it can be palpable. Maybe all this sounds a little far-fetched to you, or in a pro, in a, uh, or, or not appropriate to your experience. But I would say, don't be so sure. Consciousness is always moving, and these moments are part of our natural being. And also give yourself the opportunity for them when they're positive. And we're heading into this opportunity for skillfully working with what arises. And attending to that skillfulness helps to brighten the mind, helps to brighten consciousness. There's an enlivening quality not to start thinking, but to just notice. Notice what it is to attend to an experience. Notice the results. And noticing how in a way, when we do this, there's a nourishment for our state of being. There's, there's a nourishment it's of a different quality from getting what we want, you know, or having things go the way we wanted them to go. You know, it's, uh, there's a nourishment that creates a, uh, a deep-seated well-being. You know? It's like we're tasting something about liberation. And, and as we taste it, the, the deep-seated struggling response to dukkha starts to loosen up. It, it appears as, this is okay. What's happening is okay. Very simple. I can just be this, I can just do this, I can just be here. And let this be what it is. And as that quality arises, often in the realm of the Dharma, it's the practice is called effortless effort. 
No. The doing is not the paying attention, the, the giving attention is not some uh, onerous or demanding thing. It's just the natural occurrence. And we discover, we realize some of the deeper dharma of just this is enough. Just this is what it is. 